Hi everyone, it's Vicki Basilica from the ASHP section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists. And I'd like you to welcome you to this special episode of Therapeutic Thursdays. Once again, I am excited to share some of the great clinical content that was a part of the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy this highlight and be sure to check back soon for more features. I feel remiss to start off with social determinants of health, and they are economic and social conditions that influence individuals and group differences in health status. These include, but are not limited to, conditions in the environment in which people are born, live, learn, work, play, worship, and age that all affect a wide range of understanding, access, and quality of health. Rural residents are more likely to experience some of the contributing social factors that impact health, such as poverty. Rural Americans are a population group that experience significant health disparities. Health disparities are differences in health status when compared to the population overall, often characterized by indicators such as higher incidence of disease and or disability, increased mortality rates, lower life expectancies, and higher rates of pain and suffering. Rural risk factors for health disparities include the geographic isolation, lower socioeconomic status, higher rates of health risk behaviors, and limited access to healthcare specialists and subspecialties, along with limited job opportunities. This inequality is intensified as rural residents are less likely to have employer-provided health insurance coverage, and too often are not covered by Medicaid. As said by Joseph Lawrence, a physician and professor of family medicine and director of rural programs at Eastern Tennessee State University, Quillen College of Medicine, when you don't get your health care taken care of, you wind up with disease presentations that are much further along. The U.S. government has at least 15 different official definitions of the word rural, including 11 at the Agriculture Department alone. These definitions apply to different programs, often determining which local governments are eligible for rural aid money. In general, rural areas are sparsely populated, have low housing density, and are far from urban centers. Urban areas make up only 3% of the entire land area of the country, but are home to more than 80% of our population. Conversely, 97% of the country's landmass is rural, but approximately 20% of the population live there. According to a February 2020 publication from the, Amer the Association of American Medical Colleges, across the country, physician shortages have left a growing number of rural communities desperate for care. Of the more than 7,200 federally designated health professional shortages areas, three of the five are in rural regions. And while 20% of the U.S. population live in rural communities, only 11% of physicians practice in such an area. As an ambulatory pharmacist working in rural community, I see firsthand the impact our profession contribution to the healthcare, the access, optimization of medication, and the quality of care to extend the reach of our physician partners. Another focus that stemmed from our rural metrics was Dixie County is at 25% smoking rate, which is almost 10% higher than the entire state of Florida. So the pharmacy team wanted to contribute to the efforts to minimize COPD exacerbations and admission to the ED or hospitalization. And this was definitely a metric that was important to our stakeholders. We created a COPD care bundle process that uh, was based off evidence published stemming from patient discharges from hospital admissions. You can see the literature showed significant reduction in readmission when patients are discharged from hospitals with a care plan. 
So we created a COPD action plan, similar to the idea of an asthma action plan based off the publications um, and slightly adapted the American Heart Association COPD action plan to our specific clinic needs. We focused on high-risk populations, those that were currently smoking, they had an exacerbation in the last year, or were not optimizing their inhaler regimen. Our visits focused on education for tobacco cessation, inhaler access and technique teaching, and a prescription for prednisone if they had symptoms that would land them in the yellow zone of their action plan. Again, COVID has impacted this endeavor, but of the 15 patients that have been enrolled all prior to March uh, of 2020, none of these patients at current date have been admitted to the hospital, and now up to three now have used their prednisone bolus for the action plan. But I know, Dr. Ryder, you're doing some amazing things in your practice surrounding COPD population. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing? Thanks, Christina. We are doing some targeted approaches in COPD as well. First, a little bit about the catchment area for our practices. We are located in the south central part of Indiana, which has a wide variation in healthcare provider availability and socioeconomics. As noted here, eight of our 11 counties are considered healthcare provider shortage areas, many with a high poverty rate. Also important in this particular climate is the high digital divide of our counties, with seven of our counties being considered high digital divide. This is an interesting statistic that states may track to show how ready an area is to move to different kinds of technology solutions. Within these practices, we have pharmacists embedded mostly in primary care and endocrinology. One way that we have helped to engage some of our population is a slightly different spin on Christina's mentioned COPD bundles. Just last year, we launched our cold and flu prep visits for our high-risk respiratory patients. These are patients who have a diagnosis of COPD and at least one hospitalization or ED visit in the past year. Patients were first outreached using a HIPAA compliant text message where they responded yes or no to a cold and flu prep visit and then were appropriately outreached accordingly by the offices to schedule with a pharmacist. Of all of our completed visits last year, which was about 50, two thirds of these were in healthcare provided provider shortage areas. These visits were one-on-one -on -one with a clinical pharmacist to assess COPD control, inhaler technique, medication access, and vaccine status. Educational and referral needs, such as to pulmonary rehab, were then addressed, as well as qualification for patient assistance. Also, patients were provided with a COPD action plan, similar to the one previously seen at Christina's practice, and if appropriate, the primary care provider was outreached for a standing oral steroid prescription. Clinical pharmacists were also able to adjust inhaler regimens through our collaborative drug therapy management protocols. Of our completed visits, we were able to refer eight patients to continued pharmacy services in COPD and tobacco cessation management, as well as provide multiple medication regimen and cost savings interventions. All patients were coached on correct inhaler technique and provided spacers if needed. Similarly, we compared our intervention group to a risk score match control group and our immunization rates, especially pneumococcal rates, were notably higher in the intervention group to the point of statistical st significance. So how did these visits impact our services in general and engagement in this population? 
Prior to these visits, COPD was not a high referral disease date for us with our services, primarily being diabetes and hypertension. You can see the impact on our COPD visits in 2019, which continued on to more chronic patients in 2020. At the time of slide preparation, we were just beginning our initial text message outreach for these visits, where actually over 120 patients had responded yes to interest in these visits and will be contacted for scheduling. So we expect our COPD numbers to grow even in 2020 and be sustained into 2021. The first one that I want to highlight is home-based primary care, which we affectionately call house calls. Uh, this pilot is occurring in St. George, which is a community of under 100,000 people in the southwest corner of Utah. To some, I know that this will seem like a small town, um, but to a country boy from a, growing up in a town of under 3,000 people, we would consider this the city and a big city at that. Anyway, uh, the focus of this effort aligns to patients for whom Intermountain carries full risk um, that are also considered high risk and high utilizers of the healthcare system. St. George was selected because of the um, higher disparities that in the social determinants of health that we see when compared to other areas within the state of Utah. The patients included in, in this particular pilot are commonly more complex patients they have complex medication-related issues and needs, um, often, often have difficulty accessing um, their medications and affording their medications. Uh, they also uh, have common, more commonly are of lower health literacy, and as I mentioned, lack many of the social determinants of health. As you can see from this particular slide, there are a lot of different professionals that make up the care team, the house calls care team. Patients under the care of this group are truly receiving team-based care. The complex patients, uh, these complex patients frequently experience confusion and complications related to their medications. So the pharmacist was seen as a vital member of the multidisciplinary team and was part of the, the pilot from the very beginning. You can see with my little graphic there on the location that some members of the team travel to the patient's home as designated by the automobile. Um, so these are mobile, individuals. This includes an, a, an advanced practice provider, a nurse care manager, or a social worker who also works as a care manager when, depending on what the needs are for that particular patient. Some of the members, including the pharmacist, or, or some of the members are provide a more supportive role, such as the medical director. They typically do not go see the patients, but they're there as a resource for the advanced practice provider to counsel regarding patient concerns or issues that they encounter. There's a manager that oversees the operations of the team and coordinates care and, and continuous improvement, as well as um, support for documentation and coding. Still others, other members of the team, including the pharmacist, connect with patients through digital or telehealth technology. The pharmacist that's involved with this particular pilot is actually supporting the team from Salt Lake City, which is over 250 miles to the north. They leverage both the telephone as well as video-enabled technology to meet with patients in their home. You'll recall from a few slides ago that one of the, the challenges or the barriers that healthcare professionals encounter that many of you have probably likely encountered due to COVID, um, but that we encounter in delivering telehealth 
care to patients via telehealth? Um, is the patient's poor knowledge and understanding of how to operate technology? Uh, with this arrangement with house calls, we've been able to um, in part address that. Because the advanced practice provider or nurse care manager is in the patient's home, we often piggyback the pharmacist's visit um, to their visit so that that individual can assist the patient, at least initially, with setting up the telehealth technology to allow them to engage with the pharmacist. And this has been proven valuable for these patients. The pharmacist's responsibilities are similar to what you might expect um, when dealing with this difficult population and with complex medication needs, and similar to what you might see in a primary care or specialty care, specialty clinic practice. The pharmacist in this case, however, does not generally uh, develop a long-term relationship. Um, it's usually one or two um, visits um, with some follow-up. With the first visit, the pharmacist completes a comprehensive review of the patient's medications, addresses polypharmacy and medication access issues, and educates the patient on appropriate use of their medications. They address health maintenance concerns and collaborate with the multidisciplinary team to resolve medication therapy problems that they've identified. Through the first eight months of the pilot um, and at the time that the, of slide preparation, the house calls program had seen a total of 102 patients um, in the patient's homes. Of that number, the pharmacist held a virtual visit with about half identifying and addressing 322 medication therapy problems, or MTPs. This resulted in an average of about six medication therapy problems per patient encounter. So you can see that there are, these patients have a large number of medication issues. The pie chart on the right uh, breaks down the different types of MTPs that were identified. Uh, the most being just optimizing therapy, either uh, adjusting the dose or identifying a more appropriate therapy that will allow the patient to afford the medication, um, which was the, the next largest issue is addressing medication access issues. You can see um, from what I've listed on the slide that the time given to each of these patients was actually fairly significant. Uh, it, on average, the pharmacist took over two hours per encounter. Now, I think it's important to note that this included time spent working up the patient meeting with the patient, as well as the time following the visit to document the encounter and follow up on interventions that they made by communicating and collaborating with uh, the multidisciplinary team, as well as specialists that they may need to reach out to. Due to the success of this program during the pilot phase, we are actively in the process of expanding this to other areas of our organization. The second, uh, effort that I wanted to highlight was a centralized pharmacy service that we've dubbed the Intermountain Patient Access and Support Services, or IPASS. Uh, this overarching centralized service includes things such as centralized order entry and prescription review to support our 26 community pharmacies. It also includes a refill authorization service uh, and a medication access support service, which includes both um, medication cost evaluations as well as prior authorizations. This will provide support to providers and staff in our 215 medical group clinics. 
I know that some of those things are are not unique to Intermountain Healthcare and have been have proven value at many valuable at many other healthcare systems. What I wanted to focus on was that last bullet point, which is to provide providing comprehensive medication management to rural rural patients via telehealth. So comprehensive medication management is likely not an unfamiliar term to many of you. And I included some of the tenets of CMM here on this slide. Um, some of the distinguishing, excuse me, I've included some of the distinguishing components and characteristics of comprehensive medication management on this particular slide. Essentially, these pharmacists establish an ongoing patient pharmacist relationship to deliver consistent direct patient care within a team-based care environment. In studies of, of comprehensive medication management, and a positive ROI is anticipated, which is why we are, are utilizing CMM for care in these rural patients. Pharmacists providing CMM uh, utilize a HIPAA-compliant video-enabled platform to deliver care to patients within their home. They manage chronic medication therapies under collaborative practice agreement, provide consultation and education, and serve as a medication expert resource for rural provi providers. While full implementation of this service um, has been a little delayed due to the pandemic, the vision includes having the pharmacist be active participants on the team, joining clinic and provider meetings, aligning priorities and goals, and periodically visiting the clinic to foster collaboration with providers and to see patients in person when their care warrants it. So it'll be a mix of telehealth, which will be the primary Way, method for care delivery, but also some of those face-to-face -face opportunities to ensure that there's a, a positive relationship with their pharmacist. Thanks so much for listening into today's episode from the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. It's features and content like this that make the ASHB Mid-Year Clinical Meeting the place to learn and to take your practice to the next level. Be sure to join us in December for more great clinical content.